Hello and welcome to the one and only Happily Ever After podcast. My name is Mason Sontag and I will be your storyteller for today. Today, we are going to be doing something a little bit different from what we normally do here on the podcast. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm recording this the day before you hear this, tomorrow, Friday the 30th, is going to be my birthday. And so for my birthday, I'm going to celebrate by reading a story that I really like, something that's doing a story for me, Um, one of my favorite tales. As a kid, I always loved Greek mythology. I was a huge fan of, you know, the gods and goddesses, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, Persephone, Hera, uh, and the heroes, you know, Perseus, Hercules, Theseus, Jason, all all of them. And so today we're going to be doing a story from Greek mythology. If you know the hit new show, Hades Town, this is the story that it was based off of. This is the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice. Before I get started, I want to acknowledge that I am currently living in Ithaca, New York, which is part of the traditional homeland of the Cayuga Nation and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Thank you so much, and let's get started. The Tale of Orpheus and Eurydice There has only been one mortal whose skill at playing the lyre compared with the skill of the god of music, Golden Apollo, and that mortal's name was Orpheus. When he played, the birds would swoop down from the heavens and sit on the branches above his head. When he played, the animals of the fields would gather round him, their heads cocked to one side. Now, Orpheus had fallen in love with a woman called Eurydice. There was a wedding, a magnificent wedding, but all through the wedding ceremony the candles and the lamps in the temple gave off an oily black smoke, so that the guests coughed and choked. Even the priests had to wipe tears from their eyes. They looked at one another and shook their heads. This is a bad omen. Such things should never happen at a wedding. And the priests were right to be worried. The very next morning, Eurydice woke up early. She climbed out of the bed where Orpheus was still deep in sleep. She pulled on her clothes and went out walking. Dawn was breaking. A snake that was coiled up on a rock woke up. It slid through the grass just as Eurydice was walking barefoot across the meadow. Their paths crossed. The snake sprung and sank its fangs into her ankle. Its poison coursed through her veins. With a cry, she fell to the ground. When Orpheus found her, she was dead. He lifted her in his arms. He carried her home, his face wet with tears. And so, the day after the wedding, came the funeral of Eurydice. As a final farewell, Orpheus picked up his lyre and began to sing. His song was so beautiful and so full of grief that up above great Zeus was touched and darkened the skies with storm clouds. In that moment, Orpheus resolved to find Eurydice and bring her back. So, when the funeral was finished, when the pyre had burned and the heat of the fire's heart had consumed the house of bone, Orpheus picked up his lyre and set off on a great journey. 
He traveled over land and sea until he came to a dark cave. This was the entrance to Hades. He made his way through the tunnels that wound to the left and right. He delved into the darkness. At last, he came to the edge of an oily, black river. The river of forgetfulness. The river Styx. On the far side of it, he could see the shadowy hills of the country he was seeking. He was looking across towards the land of the dead, the domain of Hades. Orpheus stared over the water, with only the thought of Eurydice in his mind. How could his lovely bride be there, in that strange dark place? <laughs> Suddenly there came the sound of growling, then a harsh barking. Out of the shadows, the three-headed dog, Cerberus, who guards the riverbank, leapt at Orpheus. His lip curled back from his teeth. Orpheus, in response, lifted his lyre to his shoulders and began to play. And such was the beauty of his music that the monstrous dog stopped in his tracks, wagged his tail, closed his six red eyes, rolled on his back, and howled with his three heads. The beauty of the music floated out across the water and reached the ears of Charon, the ferryman. He pulled his boat towards the sound. Orpheus never stopped playing his lyre. He stepped from the bank into the boat, and the ancient ferryman pushed away from the land and pulled his boat across the river. When they reached the far side, Orpheus, still playing, jumped from the boat and walked into the shadows. Soon there was a whispering around him, a rustling, a shuffling, like the sound of the wind blowing through dead leaves. The dead were gathering. They were following him. They were enchanted by his music. It made them weep for sorrows they could not remember anymore. It made them laugh for joys that were forgotten. For the dead have lost all memory of their lives. They're just a drifting host of whispers. On and on Orpheus walked, surrounded by the dead. And then he saw a palace loom out of the shadows. As he approached it, the dead fell back. He found that he was walking alone. Orpheus was approaching the dwelling place of their king. He made his way between the wrought iron gates. He climbed the obsidian steps. A doorway of black ebony swung open before him. He entered the hall. At the far end of it were two thrones. On one sat the king of terrors, Hades himself, his eyes as deep as open graves, his black beard spread across his belly. Beside Hades sat his wife, beautiful Persephone, she was like a moon shining in a dark sky, like a mistletoe buried deep in the depths of winter. Orpheus, still playing his lyre, walked up to the two thrones. He stood before the god and goddess. He looked into their faces, and then he began to sing. We mortals are wretched things, and the gods who know no care have woven sorrow into the pattern of our lives. Even the sparrow on the branch, even the wren in the willow knows more of sorrow than the thundering gods, who have never felt the cold hand of death closing around their hearts. But you, 
You mighty gods, you have known the sweet pains of love. You have felt Aphrodite's shining shafts. Great Hades, imagine those summer months when Persephone is gone, lasting forever. Imagine, if you can, her pale face crumbling into dust. That is how it is for mortal men. Great Hades, I beg you, give me back my Eurydice. There was a long silence. Then, Persephone turns to Hades, her face streaming with silver tears. And Hades turned to his wife. One oily black tear trickled down his cheek and splashed onto his beard. He drew a breath and spoke. Fetch me the three fates. The three ancient sisters were brought before him. The first who spins out the thread of life. The second who measures its length and the third who cuts it. Hades looked into the wrinkled, leathery face of the third sister. Find the cut thread of Eurydice's life and mend it. The third sister bowed before the god. Hades turned to Orpheus. Now go! Leave my palace. Leave my realm and she will follow you. But do not look behind you. Do not look over your shoulder until the light of the sun shines full on your face. Orpheus bowed. He turned on his heel and left the palace. He made his way across the shadowy kingdom until he came to the river's edge. Chiron, the ferryman, was waiting for him. He climbed into the boat. As he sat down, he felt a tremble, as if someone had climbed in behind him. He kept his eyes fixed on the far shore. When they reached the river bank, he stepped out of the boat, and behind him he could hear footsteps, soft footsteps following him. As he journeyed, he could sometimes hear the snap of a twig. Sometimes he thought he could feel Eurydice's breath on the back of his neck. And still he looked ahead. For days and days he walked, traveling through the tunnels of stone. And every day he doubted more and more that Eurydice was behind him. Maybe this was all some cruel trick. Perhaps Hades was playing him for a fool. How could he be sure that he was not imagining Eurydice behind him? Finally, he reached a steep incline. At the top, he could see sunlight, the light of day. No one will ever know quite what happened next. But Orpheus, who maybe didn't quite believe Eurydice was behind him, turned round as if to say, Look, we've made it. And for a single moment, he saw her face. Then, as he reached for her, his arms closed around empty air, and she was gone. In the land of many guests, the third fate cut the thread of Eurydice's life for the second time, and this time there would be no mending it. Orpheus, horrified by his mistake, turned and ran back into the cave. He journeyed down into the darkness until he came to the edge of the oily black water. He cried her name with no avail. There was no answer. 
Then the three-headed dog Cerberus came growling and snarling and snapping at his angles. And Charon, the ancient ferryman, cursed him and spat at him. And Orpheus knew there could be no return to the land of the dead. So he made his way back to the living world and devoted himself to his music, which was more beautiful than ever, woven through with a silver thread of sorrow. And Orpheus never saw Eurydice again. Never. Never, that is to say, in this world. Some people say that when he died many years later, Chiron, the ferryman, was waiting for him. He carried Orpheus over the oily black water, and as he stepped onto the bank at the far side, like all the others, he forgot everything. He joined the drifting, oblivious hosts of the dead. But Persephone had seen him. She remembered him, and she felt pity stirring in her heart. She reached forwards and touched Orpheus's forehead with the tip of her finger. And in that moment, his memory returned. And then Persephone touched Eurydice's forehead, and she too remembered everything. And the two lovers found one another in that shadowy kingdom, and they finally fell into one another's arms. Even to this day, some say, they walk together, talking and laughing, sometimes arm in arm. Sometimes Eurydice walks ahead and Orpheus follows. And sometimes Orpheus walks ahead, knowing that he can look over his shoulder, and his Eurydice will always be there. That is the end of our story for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I've always wondered why Orpheus turned back. I haven't ever been able to find a story that explains why, when he was so close that he started to doubt. And I'm okay with that, because I think each of us has to find our own reason, because we all do. There are aspects of the story that resonate with multiple different parts of my life, and I'm sure yours as well. What I take away from it is a lesson about death. It obviously is terrible and a horrible experience when someone you love passes away. But the best thing to do is let them go. Because you will put yourself through so much more pain without doing it. And in the end, you will have to. And as we see in this story, maybe there will be some sort of happy resolution in some other plane of existence. Anyways, it's nice to think about. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day, and as a little birthday gift to me, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a rating or a review. Um, I think you can only do this on uh, Apple Podcasts, so if you're able to and you're listening on another app, if you wouldn't mind hopping over, it would be very sweet of you. But no pressure. Do what you need to do. As well, I really am willing to read any story and would love to learn about some new ones. If you have a suggestion for me or or just want to hear a specific story, reach out to me. Uh, I can be reached on Instagram at happilyeverafter underscore podcast, or you can email me at happilyeapodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you, and I will see you now next week. Thank you so much. Bye now.